Hey, Retreat House listeners. I I have been watching the numbers and there are more of you. There are a lot of you, a lot more of you. And so I just want to say welcome to the new listeners. It looked like a lot of you were coming to hear my conversation with Beth McCord about the Enneagram. And I'm so glad you're here and sticking around to listen to a few more episodes. I'm 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 so grateful. Podcasting has is my favorite thing. I get to sit across the table from people and talk with them. And then they gave me they give me the great privilege of sharing their story and stewarding that really matters to me and doing that well matters to me. And so to all of my guests, thank you, thank you, thank you. And to those of you who are listening and joining us at the table, thank you for being here. And some of the analytic data that I can see from the podcast is where people are listening and most people are from the United States, most people from Minnesota, which is where I'm from, which is where this is recorded, um, but also other parts of the United States and other parts of the world, which is so fun. There have been listeners in the UK, which I love all things British. So that is just super fun to me that I have people listening in the UK. So that welcome, welcome everybody, special shout out and welcome to the people from the UK. So glad that you're here. My conversation that I'm sharing with you today is with two friends from college that were in town. We recorded this between Christmas and New Year's, and they have been working on a really special project. And as they were actually making it, they were posting a lot on social media, and it just looked like there was a story behind what was happening. And it was also just fulfillment of dreams that I heard them talk about in college. And so we sat down together, and they told me more of the story the project that they're working on is called The Chosen. It's a first of its kind. It's a TV series about the life of Jesus from the perspective of those around him. And I'm so excited to share it with you. My guests today are Dallas Jenkins and Jim Cunningham. And it was just really fun to sit across the table from them. We were recording at the Dunn Brothers in Arden Hills, which is one of my favorite places. You have probably heard me talk about it before, but I was having a little trouble with the audio you'll hear at the beginning. I did get things worked out, but just so you know, it gets it gets better while you're listening. And I also wanted to let you know something that we don't talk about that has been released since we had that conversation is there's a devotional that goes along with the TV program, The Chosen, and it's 40 devotionals that contain scripture, a unique look at the gospel story, suggestions for prayers and questions that lead you further into your relationship with Christ. And we get the opportunity to see Jesus from those who knew him best and explore some of the backstories of people like Mary Magdalene, Peter, Matthew, Nicodemus, and more. So there is, you know, what we know of them from scripture. And then there's just the imagining and they have had really great, um, people that have been speaking into this that were the, what's the word I'm looking for? The scholars and people advising them. And so it's just been such, so fun to watch this come to life. By the time this episode comes out, The Chosen, the first four episodes, you will be able to watch. And it, it's just, it's beautiful. I, I What I've seen of it, I, I can't wait to see more. So check out the show notes of where you can watch The Chosen. You can get the devotional, which is called The Chosen Devotional. You can get it at Barnes & Noble and Amazon and all the places. And I'll make sure that that's in the show notes too. So let's hit, head into my conversation with Dallas Jenkins and Jim Cunningham. 
welcome to the Retreat House Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Smith. I've invited a friend to the table to share their story. Come and join us. Welcome to the Retreat House Table. I am so excited that you're here today. I have a couple of guests with me that are some college friends. We are recording at the Dunn Brothers in Arden Hills, and if you want to hear more about that story, you can go back and listen to episode 46, my interview with Greta Dvorak. I have been watching these college friends of mine doing all of these amazing things and thought, I really just want to sit down at the table with them and hear more about their story, more about how they got to where they are, and what the new project is that they're working on, which I want to make sure that you know about too. So I am so excited to welcome to the podcast Dallas Jenkins and Jim Cunningham. Yay! Yay. Yay. Welcome! (laughs) So it's been like 20 years-ish years since we graduated, so we spent a little bit of time before we recorded, well before Dallas got here, kind of catching up, but yeah, reminiscing. Why don't we start out a little bit with the path of your career since college? If you can take a few minutes, each of you, and just talk about, like, how did you get to... Okay, so what they're working on right now is a really great film project called The Chosen, a television series, and we'll hear more about that. But how did you get there from graduating from college? Well, Jim and I were roommates in college, and the three of us got to know each other through the theater department. Mm-hmm. And so I think the the desire of... Like, I I came to college originally as a broadcast major, switched to theater, but my goal always was to get into film and TV somehow. And so theater was the means in college to express creativity, to to act, to direct um, uh, theater projects. Uh, I would do video projects on the side, but that was always, I was always pretty passionate about that, about doing film and TV. And those are my memories in the lunchroom, sitting around yeah. those round tables, right. talking about film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember, Jim, if you were <laughs> into film at that time. No, gosh. Yeah. It was more... I was a farm boy from Wisconsin. Right. I didn't <laughs> know what I wanted to do. I just right. know I didn't want to farm. Right. <laughs> but I, 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 th- I feel like I was the one who was the most intent on doing what we were doing for the in the future oh that right. was your first for speech your and speech class i love films yes. <laughs> yes. right so when we were when we were doing theater projects you and i always ended up kind of together for whatever reason mm-hmm. we were either acting together or doing projects together when we were in class we would kind of pair up for projects right. and um and so that's where we developed a bit of a working relationship and then we, we became roommates for certainly by our senior year Sorry, so many memories. I know, yeah. Yeah, yeah let's not, we'll not go, we'll not go that direction. Let's not go through all of them. Um, but I, I wanted to do it from the beginning. And so when I graduated from college, I immediately got a job as a secretary at a film company in Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of worked my way up until I was eventually doing it on my own. And my father, who was the author of the Left Behind series, those books were taking off big time, and so we had the chance and the means to do something on our own, so we started our own company. So then I, that's, that's what I've been doing for 20 years. I mean, mm-hmm. I, right, at, right when I graduated, I got, a, I got this job as a secretary. Now, one of the, and I'll let Jim talk about it, but one of the first projects that I did on my own where I directed my own short film, it was the first thing I ever directed, I just said to Jim, do you want to come out and work on it mm-hmm. and work in the production design department because I knew that was one of his interests. 
And when he showed up the day before we were shooting, the production designer was sick and got off the project. And so I just mm. looked at him and said, do you want to be a production designer? And he said, okay. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Right. But, <laughs> sure, I knew, I'll do that. <laughs> but I knew that he had a work ethic, like he had a mm. tremendous work ethic. I knew that he was someone who wasn't scared of of anything really of you know it wasn't like he would go oh well i don't know how to mm -hmm. how to do this mm -hmm. i need help it was just like okay and i knew he would work hard and i knew that we would figure it out and, well, and so, is crazy talented yeah too. so it was just like let's just do it and and we'll figure it out as we go and he did and he was always someone who was very um practical. are you so uncomfortable right now Jim? Right <laughs> no but he was always someone who was very practical and resourceful mm -hmm. and I had done already done a feature film by that point I, that I'd produced, not directed. But I saw no one, no one here is necessarily any better than anyone else. It's just really comes down to work ethic and oh, yeah. mm -hmm. willingness to learn quickly. Mm -hmm. And so um, I knew that he would be able to figure that out quickly and, and in, in pretty quickly be able to be just as good or better as some of the other people that I'd worked with who had quote-unquote more experience. And so that's how we started working together. Okay. And he's been on... 95% of my projects since then. Nice. So then, Jim, so then we know how you guys started working together. Back us up to after college. What did that path look like I, to you? Well, to be honest, I didn't know what my path was after college because <laughs> I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was working in the summers at a flower shop in Stillwater. Mm -hmm. uh, a friend of mine owned a farm, and we host weddings there and did flowers. So and you did end up working on a farm. Yes, I was still on a farm. <laughs> yeah. And then I was asked to teach school, so I taught theater, and I, well, I was doing some theater on my own, and, and then doing some interior design. So it was a, there was always a design aspect, and mm -hmm. really the, the weddings are similar to films. You have to prep, 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 set up, and get out. So, so it, it, it kind of seemed like a natural fit when I was asked to do it. I remember the first morning, we were all going around the circle on, on this film Dallas was talking about. They're like, well, tell, tell your name and what your job description is. And I was like, oh, gosh, <laughs> I don't remember what the name of the job title is. So they're going around, and I turned to Dallas. I'm like, what is it called again? <laughs> Production designer. Well, okay, okay. So I made it through that. It was, it was a pretty intense pro little project, and uh, the production basically chased me mm -hmm. from set to set. But... Um, I finished it and, and I loved it. It mm -hmm. was um, there was this aspect of creativity that you could just, you know, take what was on the page and, and make it come to life. You could take mm -hmm. what was inside your brain and and actually make it happen, and you could tangibly see it somewhere. You know, mm -hmm. because you know when you're doing design on your own, it's like, oh, this is pretty. It's in my house. You know, like, but I wanted a venue that I could share with the world, and um, this seemed like the perfect. So. Yeah. And what were you doing? Like, I don't remember when I said to you, do you want to come work on this? Had you been, well, what, what had you been thinking before you came onto that project? I went and visited you guys this? on um, Hometown, Legend. Hometown Legend. Yeah. I went and saw that and I was like, I remember watching the production designer that was introduced me and I remember the morning I was there, it was, it was a diner scene, which are the worst scenes because there's food and continuity. Mm. And this guy was going crazy in this kitchen, cooking up eggs and just doing all this stuff. And he was doing all these little details that like nobody probably ever saw on, on film. And mm -hmm. um, I just remember sitting there and watching him. And I, I was just in the background watching him. I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool, you know, like. And so I, I really wanted to do, do it after that. And it kind of sparked the bug in me. And, 
So Hometown Legend is the one where you became the production designer no, or the next no, one? No, Hometown Legend is the film that I produced okay. when I was 25. And I just went and watched while they were filming. Oh, okay. Jim and another friend just came and visited. Okay. And then I directed a short film called Cliché a couple years later, which was more of just kind of a fun project. And and Jim and I had talked a few times, and I said, why don't you just come out? And you you know you can work with the production designer and mm-hmm. learn how yeah, to do it. Yeah, I was it. just going to mm-hmm. PA, I think, on it. Yeah, just be a production assistant, and so then, like, like I said, the circumstances changed. Got quickly, uh, <laughs> quickly promoted. Yeah, because I never in my life dreamed I would do film. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. my goal. I didn't, I didn't know, but mm-hmm. apparently that was God's goal. So yeah, yeah. After nice. Cliche, Jim pretty much was a production designer on every project, and then I'll skip ahead for just a second. In two thousand and ten. Mm-hmm. I moved to, back to Chicago. I'd lived in LA for 10 years. I moved back to Chicago to work at a big church and was going to make movies there. And I'd done a couple of short films there that Jim didn't work on because he was okay. doing other projects. But for the most part, I think it's been mm-hmm. like 11 or 12 out of my 13 or 14 <laughs> projects that he's been on. So then the kind of the biggest project that you had up until now that you had, it seemed like there was a lot of anticipation and expectation around was Gavin Stone, mm-hmm. and I don't have the title completely the right. The Resurrection of Gavin Stone. Yes. Yeah, the fact that you don't know the title is one of the I problems that the I watched it, though. It was had. such a good film. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> so talk a little bit about, because I've, I've seen you talking a little bit about that, about the, the expectations that you had with Gavin Stone, mm-hmm. and then how, because it seems like it, it, that what happened with Gav, the Resurrection of Gavin Stone is almost linked to what is happening with The Chosen. Oh, for sure. Is that fair? Yeah, for sure. Because when I I made a short film at my church that was called The Ride. It was a Christmas Eve um, short film. That. Yeah, and you were on that one. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, yeah. and it actually turned out really well. And it was just made for our church's Christmas Eve service. But a very long story short, it got in the hands of one of the biggest producers in Hollywood, mm-hmm. a guy by the name of Jason Blum, and he wanted he was interested in faith-based films um, because he's primarily known for horror films, so he did movies like Get Out and Split and, I mean, hugely successful, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the sinister movies and whatnot, hugely successful and profitable uh, producer, and but he was intrigued by faith-based movies because he thought they could be similar to horror films in the sense of lower budget, but profitable Mm -hmm. and saw my short film and wanted to be in business and so the first film that we did together along with another big production company was the resurrection of gavin stone and the plan was to do multiple movies i mean the plan Mm -hmm. was this was going to be the first of many faith-based films that we were going to do together and we were going to change the way faith-based films are looked at in Mm -hmm. in hollywood and Mm -hmm. in mainstream culture the resurrection of gavin stone we really loved the script and they loved the script and Walden Media was involved. They're one of the biggest companies in the in the world, and uh, WWE, the wrestling company, put up. And there was a m- wrestler m- in it, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because WWE was involved, they wanted a wrestler in it, and so Shawn Michaels, who's one of the most famous wrestlers of all time, came on board. And so the Resurrection of Gavin Stone was our first movie that was going to come out under this this initiative of doing multiple faith based films. So here I am, and they wanted to partner with our church and with myself. So here mm-hmm. I am, a, a filmmaker in Elgin, Illinois who's got this opportunity to do, I mean, Big, I, was, I, I yeah. had the biggest opportunities that, I, that I'd had in my 15 years in the business. 
So the movie was made, and we were actually really excited about it. We did test screenings, and they were the highest scoring test screenings that these companies had ever experienced. So there was tremendous excitement. And then the movie came out, and it bombed. I mean, there's no other word to use. It just it, it lost money opening weekend and did very poorly. Within hours, the, all the companies that were involved were basically saying, yeah, this was a nice experiment. It didn't work. I guess we'll move on to the things we normally do, like horror films and wrestling. Okay. And I was left with, out, with a very uncertain future. Mm-hmm. And I truly got to a place within a couple of hours where I was like, I was okay. Where I was mm-hmm. literally thinking... I'm willing, if this is what God wants, to never make another movie again. I just Wow, which is really interesting given what we were talking about, that when you started college, I mean, that was that was your goal. Yeah. I mean, so that had always been like laser focus, oh, yeah. your goal. Yeah, and I, think, and I think you would remember that that was, if you would have asked anyone who knew me at that time, what mm-hmm. is Dallas, what, who is Dallas? Oh, he's mm-hmm. a guy who wants to make movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was my mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. and he's a director. And, but, but I truly got to the place where I'm like, I don't know what the future holds, but I'm okay with that. And my wife and I, I'll try not to make this too long, but it, I think it's relevant is we were together at our house alone because the kids were at school and it was a Friday and we had just gotten the numbers and knew that it was going to bomb. And we were just so confused because God had so clearly orchestrated everything that got us to that point of making this movie with these production companies. And we we're just confused and God pointed Amanda to the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It was very, very crystal clear. He just Mm -hmm. spoke to her as clearly as though he had spoken out loud to that story. And we noticed something that we had never noticed before in this story, even though we'd heard it dozens of times, which was that Jesus, when the disciples came to him and said, people are starving, they're very hungry, Mm -hmm. and we should send them home to get food. And he said... Well, if we send them home to get food, they'll faint along the way. That's just how hungry they are. They've been, they haven't eaten in three days. And it was this really strange thing to, to notice that Jesus actually knew that they were that hungry. Mm-hmm. And it was his fault. He'd, the, he'd been the one talking for that long. So it was as if he had done it on purpose. And so he brought them to the point where they were so hungry and had or lacked so much food that the only thing left was a miracle. Mm. And so we thought... Jesus orchestrated this whole thing Mm. and the only thing left is a miracle so we weren't sure exactly what that meant but we were Mm -hmm. hoping oh that means that a miracle's coming and Mm -hmm. the box office is going to magically turn around Mm -hmm. Um, because we also noticed Jesus had everyone including the disciples do what they didn't need him for before he did what he could only do meaning he had them go find the food he had them he had a boy you know provide the loaves and the fish um, he could have magically just had fish and bread appear in people's laps. He could have made the people not hungry anymore exactly. in a second. Yeah. Right. And yet he he had them do their part until he did his. And so we weren't sure, again, exactly what this means, but we just <laughs> knew God had it for us. And then that night at 3 o'clock in the morning, I was on I was on my computer analyzing everything that had gone wrong and writing up this whole you know, 10-page analysis of why the movie didn't work and what happened in the box office. And at three o'clock in the morning, this guy that I barely know, who's just a Facebook friend who I've never met, sent me a message out of the blue. And all it said was, remember your job is not to feed the 5,000, it's only to provide the loaves and the fish. And I honestly had this moment where I wondered if like there had been a 
camera running in my mm-hmm, house mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, he was watching. Mm-hmm. That he, how could he have known that yeah. that's exactly mm-hmm. what we'd been talking about all day? And I said, why did you just send me that message? And he said, I don't know. God just told me to tell you that. And I, it, that moment changed my life. I can literally point to you know, who I was before that moment and who I am now because it, it truly solidified for me what he said. My job is not to feed the 5,000, it's only to provide the loaves and fish. So when this project came along where I just kind of, I decided to go back to my roots, quote unquote, and mm-hmm. I wasn't doing a big Hollywood movie. I was just doing a short film for my church's Christmas Eve service. And that's when I did this short film about the birth of Christ from the perspective of the shepherds, which is something that I'd done a few times before. Stories of Christ from the, from the perspective of other people that he encountered that we don't normally tell their stories. And while I was doing it, I felt so much in my wheelhouse. And I mm-hmm. felt like this could be a show. This, like we, there's never been a show about the life of Christ. There's always mm-hmm. been movies and miniseries, but never a show. And so my openness to doing that and to doing something just for my church and that project, which was, again, initially intended just for the church, ended up, again, long story short, blowing up into this viral thing on Facebook, right. and, which led to this show that we've just finished filming four episodes on, and we can get into that in a minute. But the, out of the failure mm. of that movie and my willingness to really not try to control my circumstances quite as much and just do whatever God put in front of me. Mm-hmm. That short film, which became crowdfunded into this series, like when, when, when this company came along and said, we believe that we could make this as a series, and we love this idea, but we think it should be crowdfunded, and we think we can raise millions of dollars through crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. I laughed and thought, this, that's the most ridiculous thing that mm-hmm. I've heard, because crowdfunding is done for like little tiny projects and right. it rarely like an works album or something. yeah and it rarely works and it's usually embarrassing to have to ask for money which I never wanted to do and I but 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 because I was in this position in my life where I was like you know what loaves and fishes man loaves and fishes mm-hmm. I'm just bringing the loaves and fishes it's not my job to feed the 5,000 we'll see what mm-hmm. happens mm-hmm. I think we'll raise 800 bucks but we'll see what happens <laughs> and as I sit with you today we've raised over seven million dollars from over 10,000 people and broken the record for all time you know, crowdfunded media projects, I think back to that whole loaves and fishes story and I go, if it wasn't, hadn't been for that, if it hadn't been for the failure of the movie, if it hadn't been for me getting to a place where I was genuinely willing to never do this again, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be doing what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. So again, sorry for the long story. No, no, that was exactly, no, that's exactly the question I wanted you to answer. So this production company comes and says, we think we want to do the crowdfunding. And so, and it's called The Chosen. That's the project that we're talking about right. now. So then talk a little bit about the process, because that first episode came out a year ago, came out Christmas of 2017. Yeah, so we released the, so again, I had done it for my church's Christmas Eve service, but at the time, coming around October, I was going to leave the church. Okay. And so, and I didn't know what I was going to do next. I didn't have a, I didn't have a safety net. So then a part of your surrender was surrendering the position you were in as well? Well, yeah, that came later, and that was a different circumstance, but okay. I, th- that's a whole other uh, story of, of leaving the church. But I, I decided to leave the church. Not, that church. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not no, that church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as I said before you did So I left the church, and now I'm making a church. I've given up on all of my faith. I gave up movies and God. Yes. But I, no, I left the church that I was at, and... Um, didn't know what I was going to do next, but I did have this passion for this series, for mm-hmm. doing a series about the life of Christ. And I, the, this 
distribution company. It's, called, it's a streaming service called VidAngel, V-I-D-A-N-G-E-L, VidAngel. And they saw this, the short film that I did about the birth of Christ and flipped out about it and heard my idea for the show. And they said, we want this show to be our signature project. We believe mm. this, this, you know, we've been doing this uh, streaming service for a couple of years now, but we want to get into original programming and this is what, how we want to launch our, our, our original programming. And we think we can do this through crowdfunding. So they said, we want to release the special Christmas episode on Facebook and use that to raise the money. Okay. And so then I, of course, had, we, we said to my church, you know, who, was, who had put up the money for this thing, mm-hmm. and we're going to release it on Christmas Eve, VidAngel then purchased the rights to the short film. Okay. Now they owned it, mm-hmm. and we put it out on Facebook, and that's how it, and so that last year, it ended up being seen, you know, 10 million plus times around the world. It got translated in 10 different languages. It was seen wow. on satellite TV in Iran for over 2 million people, and it was just way beyond our expectations, or at least my expectations. <laughs> And it raised interest. So we were basically mm-hmm. saying to people, Do, is this something you would be interested in investing in mm-hmm. if it became a show? And we received you know, millions and millions of dollars of commitments or, or pledges. Mm-hmm. So then we took all of that to the SEC because before you go and, and raise investment, because this wasn't donations. This isn't like a, a charity right. situation. This is an investment, which mm-hmm. is very different. We then had to go to the SEC and get it qualified to... What's to, the SEC? The Securities and Exchange Commission, okay. uh, the government. And so they're the ones who regulate investing and fi- oh, the okay. finances. So you can't just go out and say, hey, invest in our project. And if we make money, you'll make money. Just willy-nilly, to use mm-hmm. a phrase my mother loves to use. Um, <laughs> you can do that with donations. And, and you, you, know, you can register to become a charity and then just mm-hmm. take charitable mm-hmm. donations. But we were actually an investment opportunity, which is a right. whole other, which right. is way more complicated. So it took us like five or six months to get the qualification from the SEC. And then uh, finally, last, I think, I don't remember when it was, July or so, we finally were able to officially take investment. And so that's what we've been doing for the last few months. And when we got to the you know, past four million mark, we decided to go ahead and start shooting the first four episodes of season one of the show. And that's where I think you've been, you've come right. on board to ask us these questions is because you saw us, we were, we've been releasing behind the scenes videos and stuff mm-hmm. of the whole process. Because mm-hmm. our whole plan was, and my, my thing was, I really wanted to be vulnerable and authentic about all this, including my journey about how my failure is what led me to this project. And so we've just been kind of filming and talking about the whole process from the beginning. And so people have been a very much uh, an intimate part of the whole process. Yeah. I think almost nearly every day, or at least at, toward the end, it seemed like you were releasing a video of what was happening on set. Yeah, and, and we've, we've right now, over Christmas, we've put a pause on it while we've been trying to, again, continue to raise money for the whole season. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this, this season, which, again, the show is about the life of Christ from the perspective of those around him. And so we're, we're telling, you know, the stories of, his, of him launching his ministry and meeting these, you know, the disciples and people who followed him or didn't follow him based on the concept that we developed with the the Christmas film, Christmas uh, episode. And so, again, the whole point of the show is that we really want to be more authentic than mm-hmm. most Jesus films that I've seen. I mean, I've, I've seen every Jesus film ever made. I've seen the miniseries. And there's always been this kind of almost emotionally distant aspect to mm-hmm. it because it's so reverent. Mm-hmm. And it's from Jesus's perspective. And 
the, everyone seems to speak with a British accent. For everything's so clean. <laughs> everything's yeah, clean yeah. And, and kind of sanitized. Mm -hmm. And so we we really wanted to make this something that was really raw and authentic, and that's what appealed to people about the Christmas episode. Mm -hmm. And so I think that perspective has also caused us to really want to be authentic in how we do it. Mm -hmm. And so that's why you've been seeing these videos of just like, here's the process, warts mm -hmm. and all. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. at one point on video, I was just doing an update from the set and I started crying because I was like, I miss my family and I'm tired and I'm exhausted and this isn't very fun. Mm -hmm. And I just, I'm going to be honest, <laughs> and I'm, you know, I'm like, like crying, mm -hmm. you know, on camera and just going, oh, this is it. We're going to be honest about this. And we're going to show the process so that people can see, A, just the spiritual nature of it, how God is working through that. We want people to see that and then B, want them to see behind the curtain and see how this all this comes together and maybe there's some education involved. Yeah, and one of my favorite stories from the set was about the boats <laughs> that ended up happening. So Jim, will you tell us a little, tell us the story of, of the boats? <laughs> <laughs> well, it started when I first read this, the script and I, I read all three of them, all four of them together and... I finished the last one. I was like, oh, wow, how are we going to do this? I, I didn't know the budget yet. I, mm -hmm. I was like, this, just that, the miracle of the fishes, the, the whole, we called it Lake Week, was from day one, it was, it was looming because I set my uh, art director, William Matthews, on it. I said, I need you to find boats and I need you to find fish. There was a few other things I had him do, but I said, this is, this is your task. This is... Mm -hmm. I have way too much to do this, you know. And so we, we had found, we had looked and called both coasts, you know, mm -hmm. east, west. And we found some guys in L.A. who um, worked in film. They had a couple, they had three boats. And so, we, oh, okay, great. And, and boats, again, you, you, we're not just finding right. modern boats. There's not, no, there, it's not there's a, a called, wooden. Yeah, there's a thing called a Jesus boat, mm -hmm. which is when they found, I think, you know, 20 years ago, they found... In the Sea of Galilee. In the Sea of Galilee, like, perfectly preserved because it had been in mud. Right. They found, like, what the boats actually looked like and right. how huge they were. Mm -hmm. And they're called Jesus boats now. But these guys had those Jesus boats, which are big and wooden and very difficult to find and very mm -hmm. difficult to build. And we didn't have much time or money. So, And so uh, the contact that we had kept going back and forth, back and forth. And mm -hmm. you would keep changing the contract, keep adding this, 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 and this. And um, finally, it came to the point where we're like, no, we can't Because you were this. filming in Texas, right? Yes. So you're going to have to get the boats from, from L.A. to and Texas. And his whole crew. And, um, okay. So it was becoming an, a thing. And so finally, we said... Uh, this isn't going to work. We just mm -hmm. said, nope, sorry. I mean, it was our only option. And right. I was like, okay. for us to be saying that, I was like, okay, Lord, I really, I don't know what's going to go on here. Mm -hmm. And so our um, construction coordinator, Jeffrey Noble, mentioned to us, hey, I have a guy who builds boats. And I was like, well, that's great. But, you know, how long does it take to build a boat that actually floats and works? And he's mm -hmm. like, ah, this guy says he can do it in this less than three weeks that we have. And not just one boat, but two boats. And mm -hmm. so I, was, I wasn't on board with it. But Matt thought we could do it. And then the producers said, yeah, let's do it. And so we had these guys start. And the morning of Lake Week, mm -hmm. the boat one of the boats showed up. Uh, we were it was I think four in the morning we had little flashlights and we were painting the boat and dressing the boat and it hadn't been in the, the water yet the life of a film set yeah <laughs> and I was like this is actually going to be the miracle of the fish is here because if mm -hmm. this boat doesn't float we're done like we 
are wasting a whole week of production, which is thousands of dollars. And well, yeah, because that decision to do this, to go this route, meant we were giving up on the other the boats that we knew right. existed. Right. Because when you, one of the things you said when you said, "Okay, let's do it," before you said that, you talked about how we had dis- we had decided L.A. boats wouldn't work. That was because we put our faith that this guy could actually build right. two boats in three weeks, mm-hmm. which was insane. Boats that float. But yeah, but we just <laughs> thought, okay, we, mm-hmm. we, the other boats are just too expensive. We just have to go for it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was in the midst, like, like I said, I was like, let's just get the boats from LA. And I was just like kind of freaking out because that the last week for our department was a gigantic week. And I was, I just, my brain was like on overload. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, God, like if, I, I could I felt a little piece about it, but I was just like, well, if this guy like Jeffrey Noble, our, our construction coordinator, he if he says he can do it, he'll do it. So I mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I put part of my faith in that, and so we pushed the boat out and it floated, and I was like, I just felt this like <laughs> huge weight. And then I was like, oh, we got one more that isn't finished mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that needs to play tomorrow morning. So we had two mornings of that. But what well, um, was the night before when you said to us in our production meeting? Oh, by the way, there's only only one of the boats because <laughs> we needed two, and I was like, because we were having a production of meeting, and then they kept updating me, and um, before the meeting, I got the call, and he's like, well, we're only gonna have one boat ready, and I was, I felt like ashen, like I was like, mm-hmm. I freak out because like there's so much pressure on us as an art department to have a set done because if you don't have your sets done, it's thousands of dollars that are wasted in a day of production that you can't get back. Mm-hmm. And so it was Yeah, it was literally the terrifying. night before, and we're talking about the schedule. <laughs> we're, we're talking about the schedule the next day, mm-hmm. going, all right, so we'll have the two boats here, and we'll have the... And then uh, Simon and Andrew will... <laughs> um, and, and shaking hands. Just, <laughs> uh, just, just a funny story. Uh, we only have one boat. On the way to the forum. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, I couldn't... It's not like you can... You can't get mad for two reasons. One, there's no point in it. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't help anything. And two, it was kind of like, well, we did agree that we were going to try to build two boats in three and a half, three weeks or so. That's a little ridiculous. So, mm-hmm. hey, we're going to have one boat that we own that looks amazing. Let's just figure that out. Mm-hmm. And the second boat will come on day two, and we can just kind of adjust the, the schedule. But that whole week existed similar to how the boats came together. It was, it was in madness. We were, we, you know, typically most Hollywood production companies, when they do stuff that takes place on water, mm-hmm. so you've got... We've got fishermen, you know, Simon, Peter, and Andrew are fishermen out on the lake. There's the whole miracle sequence of Jesus, you know, the miracle of the, of the fish. All of those things we shot on a lake mm-hmm. in November and December. Yeah, um, in Texas, but still, it was like do, freezing, do, wasn't it? You'd think that saying in Texas would, <laughs> would mean, oh, but then it wasn't so cold. It was, it was incredible. I don't, it was literally the coldest and wettest November and December in Texas's history. Mm-hmm. Which is par for the course for the whole thing. Right, for the whole project, <laughs> it was, was like that. But it, again, this, even in the story that you're telling, when I'm reminded of that, I remember at one point, our art director, Willie Matthews, was, was almost at a nervous breakdown point. He will acknowledge that because the boat and the fish were just not ready and didn't know mm-hmm. that they were going to be ready. And I remember saying to him, loaves and fishes, man. Like, like I was, I, I've gotten to this point in my life where I just, in this project, every single time that we've had a massive quote-unquote crisis mm-hmm. of a, based on a decision that we had made that didn't turn out to look promising or mm-hmm. look like it was mm-hmm. going to fail, God came in with something better mm. and 
it just happens so many times that you get to the point where it's like, well, you know what, I got, we got no choice anyway. We might as well just trust it. And it, mm-hmm. it's like God, Amanda, my wife, pointed this out to me the other day, how the Israelites, when, when God gave them manna, mm-hmm. he would give them enough for each day. Mm-hmm. And he specifically said, don't store up extra manna because mm-hmm. if you do, I'm going to make it spoiled. Mm-hmm. He wanted them to be in a position where they had nothing but just enough. Mm-hmm. And the story of the feeding of the 5,000 was the same thing. It was like he let them get to the point of desperation. And that's what this whole project was. We never had more than what, exactly what we needed and nothing more. We could never be comfortable. Jim was, I can't imagine there was one minute where you were ever truly comfortable (laughs) thinking, yeah, we got this, we got, we got Mm -hmm. enough. Every day was like, we're just barely ready for that day. And the boats turned out better than anything that we could have. And we own the boats. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As opposed to renting them. And they're, they're replicas of the Jesus boat. We tried to replicate them from a couple of uh, replicas that they made off of the the boat from the Sea of Galilee. So, yeah. I mean, part of that, when the guys in L.A. fell through, that, that, that was part of the piece. I was like, well, he must have something better in store because mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. it will happen. It's just a little freaky right. getting to that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, yeah, this whole show was like, I mean, the weather. I mean, you can name I had I had two major medical things happen to me during the show, and I was just like, well... I'm just going to trust God because there's no other way I can do this. Like right. I was, I don't know what I was living off of. It was crazy. We had 50 sets that we had to do. And, uh, and, uh, and when we say sets, it's not like a modern room. Right. I mean, it was, yeah, you can't go down to Walmart and buy no. you know, first century gigs, but, and they were, you were posting pictures along the way. They were unbelievable. And every inch of the room was like you had touched it. Or someone on your team had touched it. So it wasn't like putting furniture in a room. It was wall draping and hanging and all the pieces. Well, and, and exteriors, too. I mean, yeah. like market, um, an exterior marketplace, uh, a, a, a road, mm-hmm. um, a campsite. All of these things had to be essentially either built from scratch or, or changed from scratch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jim just mentioned the health issues. This year, um, once I, when I left my job with no didn't have health insurance, mm-hmm. didn't even left all these things. I had four kids in school uh, in a private school that because of my job had been covered because mm-hmm. I, you know, it was the, the school at my Associated church. Associated with the church. So, and I was one of the leaders at the church. So I, I, I had our tuition paid for When I left the job, I, of course, now I have to pay for, you know, four kids in school. Mm-hmm. And this year we had the most health crises and health problems and health care costs in this year than our entire 20 years combined mm. as, as a married couple. Mm. And because of, not to do a plug, but because of Samaritan Ministries, the, the health mm-hmm. coverage mm-hmm. company or whatever, mm-hmm. we haven't paid a dime. Like, like but I mean, it's, it's as if God was saying, I'm, I'm, in, I'm going to make this year extraordinarily challenging for you, mm-hmm. but it's going to be also, it's been the most rewarding and spiritually enriching year of our lives Mm -hmm. and the project Jim and I have worked on you know a dozen projects together he's worked on more without me but it it was by far the hardest project we've ever done by far (laughs) what did you say he just said oh gosh (laughs) but it it was by far and but it was the most rewarding it was the most rewarding by far yeah like Mm -hmm. I I would literally we'd finish a day of shooting and go well another day of shooting and they'd be well how'd it go I'm like well it went amazing I don't know how we're gonna get through tomorrow (laughs) it went amazing I don't know how we're gonna get through lake week 
it was never comfortable. And then finally it finished. It was like, oh my gosh, that, that went amazing. Like mm -hmm. that was the best work you've ever done. That was mm -hmm. the best work I've ever done. Mm -hmm. And it was like, God wanted us every day to have our hands out mm -hmm. desperate. Mm -hmm. And so on and one hungry, hand, three days hungry for sure. Mm -hmm. Very well said. Yeah. We were three days hungry every day and then filled by the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And on one hand, it's like, all right, well, that's done. Finally, we got through that. On the other hand, you're going, gosh, I guess God is going to do that again to me somehow. Do we want to go through that again? We got four more? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And who knows how many after. But I do, I do know that unless we're really stupid and really ignorant, when we do this again and it's challenging again, we will hopefully and prayerfully be as trusting as mm -hmm. we learn to be because mm -hmm. you literally you literally had no choice to but to be trusting and our faith was rewarded or our desperation or brokenness was rewarded each time and so you mm -hmm. just kind of get to a point where you go loaves and fishes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's not our job to feed the five thousand mm -hmm. and I mean mm -hmm. and again right now now we have to release this thing right and it needs to be seen and it's only half of your season one season yeah. right oh yeah. gosh I'm tired thinking about it <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I do have a point, one question. I'm assuming you got the fish. You said you we needed the boats and the fish. The fish came through? Okay. That's what's funny. Well, no, no they didn't. No, they oh. didn't. So we, we had found a bunch of fisheries, and uh, there's, there's so much involved when it comes to fish. So we, mm -hmm. we, we didn't find the lake till a week before, sort of. I mean, that, the lake was even last minute, actually. And so the... They're all owned by the Army Corps of Engineers down there because most of the lakes okay. were built in Texas. And so then you have to figure out the lake and then you have to get permission and then you have to find out what species that you can put into the lake because you mm -hmm. can't just put any type of fish into the lake. And so we found um, like three people that were willing to do it, but it was, it was uh, cutting so close to the last minute and they were uber expensive. Like the lowest one was 30000 for a... Uh, I think it was like a thousand fish or something like that, and wow. but th but that included like all the labor and hauling in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was mm -hmm. what it was, and so um, I found a local source that they had fish, and I they couldn't bring live fish because it just wasn't the timing wasn't right, and it was, it was too close to what when we were shooting, and uh, so I said, oh, okay, I need what was it? I think it was five hundred dead fish, you know, because we'll just make it work somehow. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll just pull them out of the water, throw a couple live ones squiggling on the top, you know, <laughs> and throw them in the boat. And mm -hmm. we'll, we made these big four by eight sheets of fish that we were going to put in the bottom of the boat and put some real ones over it. So, you know, mm -hmm. we were just coming up with any ridiculous thing that we could do because I've never done this before. Like mm -hmm. none of us had done the miracle of the fishes. And, <laughs> So I had these fish, and the night before, I was like, well, maybe the real miracle of fishes will come. God will just put them in the net, you know, like, <laughs> real ignorant. And so the, the morning came, and uh, I was out. Wait, I, I want to back up, though. Not ignorant. It's I not mean, that, ignorant. that has been par, kind of par for the course, sure. it sounds like, of I the said, whole production. Said, in, in my, I was like, okay, God, <laughs> we have dead fish. We don't have any. Okay, mm -hmm. maybe, you know, that it could happen. Right. And so that morning I was down in Dallas, actually, because I had to drive down and we, had, we were building sets down in Dallas. So the crew was up at the lake and I get a phone call, a frantic phone call saying the Humane Society won't let us use the fish. Mm. And I said, are you kidding me? Like, they're dead. I mean, and they're like, well, we, we called the place where you got the fish and they, the fish are sedated and then put on ice. And so technically you killed the fish. And so you need uh, 
the Humane Society's blessing for distribution, you know, they have mm-hmm. to say that no animals were harmed. And so I was like, I, I don't know what to do. I said, just forget it. I said, we're going to have to do a green screen. When I said that, I was like, yeah, you know, that's, it'll work. You know, that's what we hired these VFX people for. And uh, yeah, so VFX are visual effects. Green screen is when you, you know, use, like we just decided, like over Thanksgiving break, when, which is when we, we had a break, quote unquote, a break um, where we weren't filming. But I had been talking to William Matthews, again, our art director, who was saying he was, I mean, he was frantic. He was like, mm-hmm. every option for fish that I have keeps falling through. And we were basically getting to the point where we don't, we don't have any fish. And mm-hmm. Jim's solution of the, of, the, of the dead fish was also kind of a last minute thing of just going like, well, we need something. Mm-hmm. And I just kept thinking, similar to you, like some, it, maybe it's just VFX. Maybe like we thought that, I, I thought that was going to be ridiculous using visual effects fish. Mm-hmm. And how are we going to do it? We're going to put a big, we ended up, we ended up, what we ended up doing was to flash forward for a second was putting this big, massive green tarp in the net that okay. was heavy so that when they lifted it up, the net looked like it was filled with something. And okay. then we were going to replace that green tarp with fish. But even that was, I don't even want to get into the story of how that worked or didn't work. It was just insane. It was ridiculous. But again, we just kind of kept thinking, well, we're shooting on Tuesday mm-hmm. and we're going to have to do something. And the VFX guys, the visual effects guys basically said, honestly, if we have to create fish, I'd rather there be no fish mm, mm-hmm. and we create them all from scratch than to have there be some fish they that have we to have to match mm-hmm. and that's going to be even more difficult. And so we basically just had to trust that we'd shoot this scene with no fish and then they would, the, the VFX, so in a sense the miracle of fish did happen because <laughs> right. we didn't have any fish and now our VFX guys have to create them from scratch. And they've just assured me everything that we did on the set that, that was going to make that possible ended up working at the last minute. Mm-hmm. And so as of this moment, supposedly, the scene's going to look phenomenal. And again, <laughs> like, but it was one of those things where like, we're on the day that we were shooting, I looked at William Matthews, who was devastated at all the efforts. And I just said, God didn't want us to have the real fish. Like, can you imagine how that would have tried to work to get 400 fish into the water, yeah. do the scene, and then you have to shoot a scene, you know, 10 times to, mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. different angles. How are we going to get all those fish out of the boat back into the water without losing them all? Mm-hmm. Like God was basically like, your idea is stupid. Mm-hmm. Like it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to let you have it no matter how hard you try. <laughs> like I'm going to have, I'm, you know, you, your ideas are stupid. I'm not going to let you have them. He, and that happened dozens of times on this project where ideas we had didn't work. And we were like, what are we going to do? And he's like, well, you're not going to do the idea you had because that was stupid. I'm, <laughs> you're going to do it the way that I had for you because, mm-hmm. you know, That's okay. Better the cliche but it's my ways are, are mysterious and they're not your ways but they're better mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that happened over and over and over again and it just gets you to the point where you're like this is not our project yeah. and that's actually a really secure place to be mm-hmm. it really felt way better mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. you know I feel like that's my new <laughs> I feel like I, I've you know I'm, I've been plenty of other things in my life to worry about and plenty of other vices that I have plenty of other sins in my life but I do feel like one of the sins that I don't think I'm going to struggle with too often from now on is trusting that God's ways are better than mine. Mm-hmm. Like that has been, that, that, that pride has been beaten out of me for sure. <laughs> and if I struggle with that again, I should be smacked very hard <laughs> by anyone who knows me because it's been so clear that, that I just need to, 
to put my hands out and do my part because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Jesus does ask us to do our part. Mm-hmm. He asked them mm-hmm. to provide the fish and the loaves. Mm-hmm. He asked the disciples to roll away the stone when he raised Lazarus from the dead. He asks us to do the things we don't need him to do. Mm-hmm. But there are things that only he can do. Right. And that's where we have to hold our hands out in desperation and go, all right, I'm, I'm ready for today's daily manna and I won't mm-hmm. expect anything more than that. Yeah, and that can sound really trite to say, well, just trust God, just trust God, just trust God. But knowing the backstory and hearing the process that you went through, that's what adds, I think, the weight to it, that you were brought to a point where you were brought, you were literally brought to the end of yourself. I mean, the culmination of everything that you expected for your career wasn't what you thought it was going to be. And then he recreated it from there. Yeah, no, I was literally, like you said earlier, I was literally at the three days of of hunger Mm -hmm. point multiple times. And you were, Jim, were brought to that spot as well multiple times on a practical level every day. So again, God doesn't promise that it's going to work out perfectly. No. Or the way we intended it. Right, 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 exactly. But I do genuinely believe that when you are in his will on a big decision, whether it's you've been moved to another state or whether you've Mm -hmm. put your kids in a different school, or if you truly were in a position where you were listening to what God had for you, and you were truly in God's will. The practical ways of how it's going to work, mm-hmm. your job is not to feed the 5,000, it's just to provide the loaves and the fish. fish. And if you've provided mm-hmm. the loaves and the fish that he asked for, mm-hmm. then he will feed the 5,000. Right. Is there a story, like one kind of story or memory from filming that each of you have? Does, <laughs> or is that the one, is the, the boat and the fish? Is that kind of the big memory from, from filming? Uh, it honestly seems, I mean, we just finished, but we started back in September, and it just seems so far away. I, I do, I, I remember, uh, this is, a, a, I don't, it's not really a strange story, but I, I remember uh, we were wrapping up the last scene. Mm-hmm. We were all on set. I remember I, I had this dream when I was a kid, and, it, and it's happened, the same dreams happen multiple times, but when, especially when I was a kid, I always had this dream that, I was working, it was weird because I, I, I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I was working on a film and the film was about the life of Christ. And the very last moment, <laughs> I'm going to cry, but um, <laughs> when they said cut, I remembered the one scene from the dream and it was, it was similar, but the scene that was always the one that I saw hasn't happened yet. So part of me was like, well, this is it. And then God reminded me, he's like, is it? Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm crying. No, no. It was one of those weird, it wasn't weird, but it was like this reassuring moment. Mm-hmm. Like you do all this and then it comes, because I remember growing up, I was like, well, how is that going to happen? Cause the, right. Because the dream always seemed so epic. Like mm-hmm. I was like, and we're, we're used to doing these lower budget films. And I was like, well, how is this going to happen? Mm-hmm. And I, it, it didn't occur to me to the very end when, it, when, when we did the last take, I was like, wow, this this really could happen and so because mm-hmm. um, it's happening mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so um, I don't know it was like this epiphany or like this again this weight went off my shoulders because you know there was the whole like swirling around well is the next four going to happen is this mm-hmm, gonna, mm-hmm. then he showed me that and I was like hmm Mm-hmm. It probably will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a cool story. Well, that's that's really encouraging to me to know that there's still a dream that you had that hasn't. That makes me go, okay, good, maybe it will happen. Because yeah. I haven't had a dream, but but yeah, I I, I think I for me it's similar. Um, I remember when I first had the idea for the Christmas 
episode, the, mm-hmm. the Christmas short film that's you know still on Facebook and still getting viewed even today as we speak. When I was, I was in my car and we had just sang the song in church by Chris Tomlin, it's called Emmanuel. And there's a verse that says, what fear we felt in the silent age, 400 years will he be found, but broken by a baby's cry, rejoice in the hollowed manger ground. And it's saying that there were 400 years of prophetic silence that were broken by the cry of a baby. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that announced that there was a Messiah. And and that concept, I thought, okay, so that would be really cool if if there was a scene where where the music went cut out and all the sound was cut out and we saw Jesus get born and his cry pierced the silence. And then I thought back to the shepherds and I thought about how it would be really cool to see this from their perspective and just how poor they were and how you know, what their life would have, must have been like that day and then to get a chance to become the first prophets in 400 years because mm-hmm. they were the ones who told people about the Messiah. So again, I'm not, I don't want to get too detailed into all that, but having that idea for that, for that short film for Christmas Eve and while making that short film thinking, this could be a show, this could be a really interesting show, the concept that that could actually happen mm-hmm. was... It's crazy. I mean, it's very, very hard to make movies and to get financing for films and shows. It's just, it's just so mm-hmm. rare. Mm-hmm. But because it's a risky investment, of course. Mm-hmm. And so, when when I'm sitting in my car crying at the notion of 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 what the shepherds must have faced and what they were what the, what must have been in their hearts when they got to see the Messiah be born and, and all that. And then to flash forward to right now to think, we just got those four episodes. First four episodes of season one are filmed. And being on the set going, like there were many moments when I was filming where I was watching the actor who plays Jesus act. And I was watching some of the characters who surround him, Simon Peter and Andrew and Nicodemus. And some of the scenes we filmed going, this really has never been done before. Like it Mm -hmm. really hasn't ever been done before. A, A show where we really explore the characters more deeply and get in, and, and we're seeing them, um, like we see Nicodemus and his wife, we see Simon and his wife, mm. and we see these conversations that they that we wrote, imagining what a, what a marriage was like back then, and how it wasn't different from from today. Like these were human beings, and mm. I think most so mm-hmm, often mm-hmm. these films and, and miniseries about the life of Christ, we 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 don't we can't relate to anybody. No, everybody has a halo over their head. We idealize them, which is. Part like in the look of the film, and right. you know, just portraying the characters. I think so many times we look at these people and they're like, oh, right, you know, like they couldn't. Have <laughs> like Mary looks like she hiccuped, right, right. and <laughs> exactly. had baby Jesus. <laughs> but we wanted it to look raw and gritty when we mm-hmm. wanted these people to be human, so people could mm-hmm. actually relate with them. Because if they're not human, people, you know, they're we can look at them as, oh well, we can't obtain that, or you mm-hmm. know, they were here and we're down here, and, right. And so I, that's one thing I wanted as much as possible within the time and money that we had was to make it look gritty, make it, because the first century was not a fun place to live in. It mm-hmm. was actually a very dangerous place to live in. It was dirty. I read an account of people walking in Rome. They said each night was dangerous because you have people throwing poop pots over, you know, like mm-hmm. human feces, animal feces was in the road. Like you could get hit over the head by these things. You could, you know, get knifed or there's just this whole list of things that could just happen in one night in the ancient world. And I think even we idealize how things were then. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want things to be pretty. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to be pretty, but I wanted them 
to feel real, mm-hmm. I guess. Well, because a lot of, I think a lot of what we see is, a, is whitewashed. Right. I mean, the, the sets, the actors, I mean, everything is whitewashed. Right. And that was another thing that I appreciated about what I was seeing about The Chosen. The difference that I saw is that it's not whitewashed. Well, yeah, literally, you, you see, oftentimes you see white people playing right. these parts. And so we really wanted to be as authentic as possible, showing ethnic actors playing these parts, uh, Jewish, uh, you know, olive skin to black skin, you know, just really trying to avoid, other than the Romans, mm-hmm. people looking like how we think, you know, right. how we look like now. But at the same time, wanting to truly create a world and characters that you could truly identify with. Mm-hmm. And for my wife, for example, she identifies with Simon Peter. She's more tempestuous and more uh, feisty. Um, and you know, there's religious people who can identify with Nicodemus, who were who were mm-hmm. who were maybe stuck in their own kind of routine of of their dogma and their faith, um, and how they might react if Jesus came along now and kind of upset the apple cart a little bit. So, point being, while we were shooting, I was I would get moved by some of the portrayals I was seeing and. And seeing a marriage portrayed again, I've never in a Jesus movie. I've never seen like a like a, a married couple fight, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. And we have that in this show, mm-hmm. and it feels like like. And when I wrote the scene, for example, just using this as an example, when Simon and his wife are fighting, are arguing, I based it a lot of on some of the arguments my wife and I have had. We tried to make it as real and, and relatable as possible. While we were shooting, there were people on the set who would tell stories to me of like. Wow, watching this get filmed, I, I've never felt like closer to Jesus than I do right now. Mm-hmm. Like seeing this portrayal, I, I mean, I really believe that if this show comes out the way that we think it can, people are going to react the way that they've reacted to the sh- to the pilot episode, the the Christmas special, where they say, "I've felt joy. I identify with these characters. I see Jesus through the eyes of the shepherd." Mm-hmm. We believe that the audience can see Jesus through the eyes of those who actually encountered him they can be changed and impacted in the same way those people were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to do. And I felt that on the set. I felt that multiple, multiple times just going, God's doing something that, like it felt bigger than us. It felt mm-hmm. like I'm just along for the ride and I really can't wait to see Jesus feed the 5,000. Yeah. And what I love about that is, and part of why Retreat House Podcast, why I bring people to the table, is because I've, kind of the visual I've tried to put to it is when I see God, it's like looking at a statue and I'm only on one side of it, and I can only see this side of the statue. But when I hear other people talk about how they see God and their relationship with God, then I get a fuller, more 3D picture, which is what I love about what you're saying. Looking at Jesus from the people who were around him and getting a bigger, broader, rounder picture of who he is. Yeah, that's really well said. Yeah, yeah again, it's, it's uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, who uh, is the woman who was... Uh, paralyzed back in the late 70s and has a great ministry she saw the, the the special christmas episode we did and said thank you for telling the old old story in an impossibly fresh way mm. and that was my favorite response that i've gotten or at least one of them because again i've heard these stories i've been a believer my whole life i've heard the stories hundreds of times mm-hmm. and to if you're able to do it in a fresh way without changing the story, when right. we're adding to things, we're adding backstory and historical context and things, some of our artistic imagination about maybe what they would have ex- experienced that day before they met Christ mm-hmm. certainly is new, but we're not changing the stories that are mm-hmm. in the Bible. But if we can do it from a fresh way, a new perspective, then even believers can be impacted by this. And that's, that's, what, I, that's what I'm really excited by is, is the opportunity to truly introduce Jesus to people 
all over again for the 50th time. <laughs> like it feels new <laughs> yeah. even though it's been done before. And right. that's, that's what we're really excited about. So the episodes are going to be coming out soon. Yeah. And what if when somebody watches that episode, they want to be a part of it or they want to be a backer? What would you say to them? Yeah, so at this point right now, um, you know, the opportunities to be an investor uh, may come again. Did I say donate? No, you Sorry, said, okay, good. You said <laughs> yeah, because people keep saying donate and say it's not a donation, it's an investment. Um, but yeah, now's the time to watch it. Um, mm-hmm. So if you want to watch uh, the first four episodes of season one, you know, they're available on the VidAngel streaming service. And so a lot of people uh, don't have VidAngel yet, but it's a really, really awesome service. And so, um, like my family has VidAngel, here's how it works. So we have Netflix and we have Amazon Prime and whatnot. And when you watch shows um, that are on Netflix or Amazon Prime, you can watch them through VidAngel and they will literally filter out, you can filter out anything that you find offensive. So for mm-hmm. example, the, the show Stranger Things, like my, my kids love Stranger Things, mm-hmm. but my younger kids weren't able to watch it when it was on Netflix because there's some language that's inappropriate. And so what we, would, what we do on VidAngel is literally, you can put it up through your VidAngel streaming software and it's very simple and you literally just pick out all the things in the episode that, you're, that you don't want your kids to see and click that button and it will re- remove them. And every family's... Um, Standards are different, and so some mm-hmm. people don't want their kids to see violence, or some people don't want their kids to see language or blasphemy. You can choose. It's up to you. And VidAngel now, of course, getting into original content with uh, The Chosen. So you go to vidangel.com, you uh, get the service, um, and the first month is free. So okay. you could actually watch the first four episodes for free if you want, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then you don't actually have to commit if you don't want to. Now, of course, I would prefer that you right. commit to VidAngel because <laughs> it would be nice for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, that's where you can watch the show, uh, these first four episodes about the life of Christ. And uh, and then when we get to season two, we might uh, be offering the opportunity to invest in the project again. Okay. But for now, we're all, all you need to do is, is watch. Okay, uh, so if people wanted to follow, if they do want to contribute later for season two, where would they follow you? Yeah, so we're on Facebook, and that's where our community mostly resides in terms of how we communicate, besides the website, thechosen.tv, thechosen.tv, which has all the updates, but... Um, if you just look up The Chosen on Facebook okay. um, or inside The Chosen page, we have tons of behind-the-scenes videos, tons of behind-the-scenes uh, pictures and content. Uh, we post pretty much every day, and you can see the process of how this show came together. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the first four episodes, for sure, are where you, know, you want to watch them on VidAngel, but the whole process and how this all came together is on mm-hmm. Facebook. Great. And I'll make sure that's all in the show notes as well. Great. Thank so. you. Guys, thank you so much for making time to come and sit at the table. and A little class reunion here. I know, I know. right? Reminisce a little bit and hear about this story. I'm really, really, really excited about this project and, and, what, just, and to see what God's going to do with it. So thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thanks for having us. Great to see you again, Andrew. Good to see you. Thank you for joining me at the table. Any links or anything that we talked about during the show can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. Or if you've already subscribed, please go leave a review so others can find us too. If you want to keep up with what's happening with Retreat House, you can find us at at Retreat House Podcast. If you want to keep up with what's happening with me, you can find me at at Angela Smith MN. Again, thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next week at the Retreat House Podcast. Mm-hmm.